HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome to HRN on Tour. This is Christine Sykes-Lowe, and today I'm joined by another Asheville friend of mine, Mike Moore. He is the chef and founder of the Blind Pig Supper Club, and we are also joined by Chef Cleophus Hethington, recent James Beard Foundation finalist for Emerging Chef of the Year. I want to say Cleo is my new friend as well, <laughs> which is amazing. We've been talking for a while. We're sitting here on my porch in Asheville. And we are talking about an upcoming event, which is actually tomorrow. But before we go into that, I want to kind of go into the history of Blind Pig. And, uh, you know, when we first met many years ago, and that I think it was the second dinner that you actually produced for Blind Pig, how it came about, your roots, I know uh, originally San Francisco area, and kind of taking that whole culmination of, of how it came to be what it is today. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, it was actually 12 years ago. So that was a, you know, that was a, that was a, a span ago now. Um, uh, I am from North Carolina originally. Um, but I grew up in the Eastern part of the state, just East of Raleigh. And, um, I was working in Raleigh and, uh, I was a career changer in my twenties and, um, I changed careers and did something. I just kind of like looked up in the sunset and I'm like, I'm going somewhere. I'm, 
I'm traveling. This is my time to go. I wanted to do something creative. I wanted to work with my hands. Um, I was in public service prior to that. And, you know, it was just a real big sort of like flip up in the air. Just throw it all up, see where where things land. It was a clean slate kind of, you know. Um, And so I took uh, all the money that I had out of my bank account and my retirement (laughs) and packed my truck with my dog and uh, my clothes and a mountain bike. This this memory is coming back to me. I think we had this conversation about 12 years ago. And when you told me this, Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that was that's pretty awesome. You took a leap of faith. I did. I did. And I hit the highway and took off to California and I landed in San Francisco. I mean, I had planned to go to San Francisco. Um, I wanted to, uh, I didn't really know anyone out there, but I wanted to go, I wanted to cook in a larger city and I loved the cultural influence that San Francisco had, you know. So I traveled across the country and then I sort of implanted myself in San Fran and immediately the hurdles came, you know, (laughs) immediately I was kicked out of my hotel because I had a dog. And so there's, you know, a lot, not a lot of great places to stay in the city, especially with a dog. Um, I, I slept in the back of my truck in the desert on the way there. Um, you know, uh, I've lived in Oakland for a little while. Uh, fortunately, a friend of mine let, let me stay at her apartment for maybe two or three weeks until I found my own place. And uh, I found a place sort of out sort of south of the city in Pacifica, California. Um, beautiful, beautiful town. Um, three months out of the year every 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 other day it's like foggy in pacifica you know three months out of the year though it's paradise (laughs) um but i lived in i lived on the beach in pacifica and got to know the city and i started culinary school out there at california culinary academy and it was at the uh, corner of uh, polk and van ness street right at the edge of the tenderloin (laughs) so i had heard about the tenderloin but I had not seen and experienced the tenderloin, and uh, it was uh, something else. It was it was a pretty rough neighborhood, especially at night. Um, my my culinary school was right there in the heart of it. So, um, but on top of that, like you know, we cook, I cooked there in the city in San Fran. I, I worked at a few places, quite a few places. Did some catering events. Um, got a chance to cater for George Lucas uh, when he was filming the second Star Wars. We did a big Halloween party for uh, at Lucasfilm Studios and stuff. So that was really cool. Got to see the original R two D two, which growing up, you know, being born in seventy seven, that was like wow. You're not supposed <laughs> to take pictures, but I took a picture of that one, right? Uh, and then I moved to Asheville. Like um, I met uh, my uh, wife now in San Francisco at a coffee shop at Pete's Coffee on the Embarcadero, right there at Fisherman's Wharf, at the ferry building, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she was from New York City, and I was from North Carolina, and we met and fell in love. And, you know, when culinary school was over and we did our internships and things like that, um, I knew from cooking in the city back then and making less than $10 an hour in San Francisco that I was not going to be able to afford to live in that city much longer, you know, on a cook's salary. Mm, You know what I'm saying? So I knew it was like we had to go back to the East Coast, you know. So we we were, like, on the map choosing where we wanted to go, and it was like Savannah, Charleston. And Asheville, we took a vacation in Asheville, and I had come to Asheville as a kid, obviously, to do, like, the normal stuff, like the routine sort of, like, tourist stuff, you know, like whitewater rafting and stuff. But we took a trip to Asheville, and... It was at the very end of Belcher, which was an event they used to have, street mm-hmm. festival, you know. And there was just like this cool magic and energy here. And we were just like, we had the best weekend trip. And we we're like, this is, this is, this feels good, you know. So sure enough, we, we um, put our stuff on a train in Oakland and we drove back across country and we landed in Asheville in 2005. 
So that was where I, uh, there was, I mean, Asheville was a different place back then. It really was. Asheville had like five breweries. Yeah, and that was about when I arrived right up shortly after yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And there was, I mean, there was, there's always been really good restaurants here, but ne- there was, there wasn't a lot for, you know. Yeah. And speaking of good restaurants, Mark Rosenstein, where you had your second blind pig event, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. he was one of the pioneers of the farm to table movement in Asheville in Absolutely. Western North Carolina. So uh, the marketplace on Wall Street was probably one of the you know the mm-hmm. few that were downtown. Now mm-hmm. there's so many amazing restaurants. Yep. Um, but um, so you 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 launched it. You were taking it from a concept of uh, supper clubs in San Francisco, correct? Yeah. So when I was in San Fran, I had worked um, in culinary school. We had this board where it's like, okay, you know, do you want, do you need, we always were looking for extra work, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're starving. (laughs) You know, I went to, I went to work and worked lunch shift at Aqua during the day. And then I got out, I went, uh, changed clothes and I went to school at four o'clock and I didn't get out of school until 11. And then, and then started all over again, started all over again, (laughs) five, six in the morning. Right. So we're always looking for opportunities and just like when I did that catering, um, you know, there was, hey, we're, we're paying for auxiliary hands for so-and-so supper club. And it was Ghetto Gourmet in Oakland. And, you know, back in that time in the 2000s, like the supper club sort of started a resurgence. And so you started seeing a lot of chefs like independent chefs in the Bay Area begin their own supper clubs in a way. And sort of it was like also a way where you can sort of creatively tap into things and try on a trial and base effort, you know. So it was a lot of good in that, and I got a chance to experience that. And when I moved to Asheville and worked here in the city and started working in restaurants, I was like, man, you know, Asheville could. I started seeing the city sort of burgeoning in, in, a, in a way, and I was like, we could, we could really do something cool with that here, you know. But it was during the uh, recession is when I started the Supper Club, and I was unemployed. And I was running a restaurant down in Greenville, South Carolina, and the doors closed. I mean – you know, the recession was terrible and <clears throat> restaurants were closing right and left. It was just like COVID. So it's like, it's almost like I've been through two of these now, you know? Right. So I was sitting around unemployed, like gardening. I started a huge garden at home, you know, as a peace of mind kind of thing, putting applications out, sending stuff out or whatever, and not getting a whole lot uh, back or whatever. And I'm like, we, you know, now's the time more than ever to, to launch what I was launching, you know? So it was sort of like, uh, you know, throw it in the wind, see where it goes. Right. And we started like, I, I remember writing an email to the guys. I used to go to the Admiral a lot and that was like one of my favorite places to eat. Still is. Yeah. 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 And, um, I would just go in there and just eat the best food and, and I loved watching the chefs cook. And so that was like one of my favorites. So I shot Elliot an email at the Admiral. I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm a chef from San Francisco. I want to do this thing. Would you be game? You know, to talk about it or whatever. And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and that's kind of how it started. So, the Admiral was the first dinner that we that we 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 produced, and um, it was like it's called the Carnivore Dinner. I don't know. It was a bunch of wild game. Mm-hmm. It was like turtles and yeah, <laughs> fish that were called and a feral wild pig, and so there was definitely like this. Yeah, I, you know, I recall a, I recall a pigeon being on the menu of the second one. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely sort of like okay, let's be adventurous here, right? Yes, yes. But it was fun, yeah. and we back then we would just post flyers all up and down West Asheville. And, um, you know, there was the first dinner, you know, it kind of sold out and we was at a farmhouse in Black Mountain and which was a friend's farmhouse. And 
it was just a lot of fun. You started to see like this culmination of people coming there and like these people loved food and loved getting together and loved obviously adventure. And mm-hmm. before you know it, there's like friendships being made. And um, there was a whole bunch of press that was there, like food writers that were there that I didn't realize were there and they covered it and then they was in the paper the next day. Right. And that got me in a lot of trouble because <laughs> I, I was working as an executive chef of a country club back then. And they had this clause where you cannot moonlight or whatever. Well, they wrote it up in the paper. And so it was like all of a sudden, you yeah, were all of a sudden I was exposed <laughs> and it was like and it was just meant to be one dinner, one yeah. and done. And um, it just became this big thing. And. The health department came looking for me because they knew what was on the menu. And Mm -hmm. I truly got a big slap on the hand for a lot of that stuff. But what happened with the blind pig, what happened with that was it created an energy that was larger than myself. And it was there was a lot to be said for uh, chefs coming together as friends and collaborating and laying down the the walls of competition and and ego and sort of just designing a menu and an experience that that is is happy and and is constructive and positive and there's a big energy in that there's a big spirit in that and uh, on top of that we 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 got really popular so dinners would sell out and it was generating a lot of revenue and we were like you know let's 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 make this a philanthropic thing let's pull in people who are activists in their community and let's let them talk about you know, like what they do, and then let's you know let's donate some funds to different causes in the community, and um, it just turned into something really really awesome. And some of the other um, format of it for listeners is um, blind pig. The name comes from basically you you do not know uh, the the menu, you do not know the location. Um, you know, there's very few finite details uh, shared prior. Um, and, and, you know, when you say that bringing the chefs together, it's also bringing strangers together. It is. Because yeah. I know of the dinners that I attended in various capacities, um, I can't tell you how many great conversations I've had with mm-hmm. new people and, mm-hmm. you know, just enjoying the common the common bonding of, of food over this menu that's just laid before their eyes for the first time. You don't know what you're, what kind of adventure <laughs> you're getting ready to yeah. partake in. Um so, so the charity component, kind of go into that a little bit more. How did how that came about? Yeah. So um, anyway, once once I once we, I kind of realized from the feedback of the first event that we had and everything else, there was just um, there was a ton of um, uh, there was just people were like, we need to do another one. We got to do another one. We got to we got to we got to continue this. You know, people were reaching out to me. Other chefs were reaching out to me, and and it it, it was it was building into something very quickly that I was like okay, let's see where this goes and let's see how this can transform into something that's positive upon positive. And, and it, and it very much did, you know, I come from a a very humble background, a working class family. I come from an agrarian family. All of my ancestors have been farmers and, you know, been close to their community and to their roots. And a lot of my forefathers have, you know, proudly helped their community and it was just kind of a way that I could too like on a personal mission like whatever you do you go to work and do a nine-to-five job but if you can work what you love to do but also give forward to someone else to help someone else I mean that you know you can sleep pretty good at night at least I do anyway so that's uh it was you know it turned into that and every single dinner dinner event we did um was you know we 
we kind of set ourselves apart a little bit. So we kind of concepted our dinners. There's a lot of different supper clubs and some of them just featured the chefs, but we would actually take it a little bit further and like, let's do a dinner on Pulp Fiction or let's do a dinner on the Beastie Boys or let's, you know what I'm saying? Let's be as creative as we can and shoot some Easter eggs and messages in the menu. And that's a lot of fun. And so, um, and the dinner tomorrow night is mas- more masquerade. Dinners are masquerade. We've never done a masquerade party, and we thought it would be fun to do that. And well, I've so, got my mask. I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. So, yeah. so going with that, the chefs that are collaborating with you, could you go down the list? Yeah. So um, there was a lot of chefs at, when we put this dinner together. <clears throat> bon Appetit magazine reached out to me, and they were like, hey, you know, we've heard a lot about what you guys have done in Asheville, and we would really love to capture that. Uh, because they are, you know, choosing and selecting a few people across the nation that give to their communities and stuff. And so that was, you know, it was, it was awesome to begin with. But when we sort of put the beginning ideas about, um, I had some chefs that, you know, were already sort of on board with doing things with me. But then I had chefs that reached out to me, like Cleo and, and others, and sent me an Instagram message and was like, <clears throat> hey, I would love to get, be a part of this sometimes. What, what do I need to do, you know? So, so the list of chefs, and then I, I would love to segue over to Cleo yeah. to kind of talk to him a little bit about uh, what he's got going on right now. Mm-hmm. What, what, are, what's the list of chefs that are going to be participating? Yeah. So tomorrow's event, we have um, Chef Duke Kroger, who's out of Charlotte and Charleston, uh, who's going to be uh, w- cooking a dish with us, um, and he's with Cinder. Uh, a good friend of mine, Chef Ryan Klein, uh, who's now the uh, CDC or ex- executive chef. Uh, in in West Asheville there at Jargon. Uh, And then Nick Kane, who's done a lot of dinners with us in the past. He's at Zombra here in Asheville. Um, A new chef, uh, Brian Sandoval, who works at the hotel in Black Mountain, who's reached out to me as well as Cleo did. And he was like, hey, you know, I'd love to do this. And and, uh, and I was like, okay, let's, you know, here's a door of opportunity. I can remember specifically when I was starting the supper club and I was sort of, I reached out to a, to who was a now friend of mine today, a guy named Jimmy hat in Charleston, South Carolina. And Jimmy hat was doing gorilla cuisine few years before blind pig. So Jimmy hat was sort of doing his thing in Charleston. And I was like, I, we could do that in Nashville. And I reached out to Jimmy hat and I'm like, Hey, you know, we want to collaborate with this. I, we, you could bring this up here. And he, he just wasn't very receptive to the idea, <laughs> you know, and he kind of sort of like hung up on me or something, you know, and, and I was like, really? Wow. Oh, well, I'll just Jimmy do it. Hat. I'll just do it. Jimmy Hat and I are really good friends okay. to this day, by the okay, way. Okay, Jimmy Hat. Jimmy Hat is a good friend of mine, but this is how we met. So is that a nick? That's a nickname? That's or? his nickname. Okay. Yeah, his, his, I don't think anybody really knows his real name. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I had always told myself, hey, if any other chefs ever reached out to me about wanting to be a part... I'm going to leave, I'm going to give him an open door because of that experience with Jimmy Hat, right? So, yeah. And, um, yeah. And that's, and then we, we have like the Blind Pig also does catering and we have sort of like a pit team that does barbecue, traditional like whole hog barbecue in Carolina. And so a lot of the pit masters and chefs are going to be helping me tomorrow as well with that. AJ Pittner and Shaquem Sauls and Shanika Privet, um, friends of mine that I've connected with who are also chefs uh, from down east. So, Eastern North Carolina, Eastern North my Carolina. old stomping grounds. Yep. Um, so, Cleo, I would love to talk to you for a little bit about what you have on the horizon. Um, so you had a big event happen this spring. You want to talk a little bit about that? Was that a surprise for you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for it to happen that soon. Yes. Um, for it to come in um, the first seven months that I was at Ben Eagle. 
Yes. Um, it was quite a surprise. So uh, Cleo came in uh, about a year ago, uh, Benny on Eagle, which is a part of Asheville, um, known as The Block. And uh, can you explain the concept of, of the of the, me- the menu, the cuisine, um, the vibe you were going for there? Um, well, so Benny on Eagle was created by um, Chef John Fleer um, on The Block uh, when it was built, a hotel was built about three, four years ago. Um, and when the developers approached him about partnering to open up a restaurant, he wanted to open up a restaurant that, you know, paid homage or paid respect, I guess you could say, I don't know what to characterize it as, to the previous black business business district that was there in downtown Asheville. Um, so original chef being Ashley Ashanti, um, who I also, you know, beyond John Fleer and wanting to work for him and knowing who he was, um, I credit her with, you know, also, you know, inspiring me to want to take the job and come up here um, because I saw the great things that she did. And I always felt like there was never going to be a restaurant that provided me to cook the kind of food that I wanted to completely unadulterated. And Benet provided me with that option. Um, so coming to Asheville, um, you know, as I told John and his team when I f- came up here to interview in late summer 2021 is that I'm not Ashley. I'm not Southern. I might be Southern by geographic um, region. Because um, before bef- before that, can you tell me what your uh, history is in culinary before this? Um, well, I mean, cooking is like my third career, I guess you could say, <laughs> because I... Out of high school, I went into the Navy. I uh, was in the Navy for four and a half, five years. I would just say five years. I was a hospital corpsman, spent 39 months on deployment out of those five years. Um, from there, I transitioned out, um, went back home, got my degree at, from University of Miami, a master's also in urban planning. I worked in public global health for, for another nine and a half years before I even started cooking, which I've been doing now for 12 years. I love uh, stories like this. I really so, do. Um, being exacerbated and coming from a family that everybody's a great cook and it was always good food and, you know, on the table. Um, and your family's from Trinidad, is that correct? Well, I, I we're from the South, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say I grew up eating Caribbean soul food. Okay. Um, or Caribbean Southern soul food. Because I think soul food is is a very relative term also. Um, Cause I think that's just, soul food can imply to any good food that makes you feel good, you know? I agree. So like I said, yeah. it's relative. Um, but yeah, my family, you know, my grandparents, my great grandparents are from the Caribbean and migrated to the United States, but my more direct grandparents um, grew, you know, born or grew up in South Georgia, but moved to Miami in the early 40s. So, you know, pretty much the last three generations of my family and fourth now um, are, all we know is South Florida, it's Mm -hmm. Miami. So we know the Caribbean culture, we know the Latin culture, um, you know, and obviously the influx of the Jewish culture that's down there. So um, for for me, my perspective and growing up in the quote-unquote south of South Florida, um, we always like to say Miami is a state of its own. Um, 
the rest of Florida is different. You go above the Palm Beach and you got a completely different um, atmosphere. So, you know, for me growing up, I, I grew up eating goat. You know, I ate roti. I ate, you know, rice and black beans and yuko con mojo and, you know. And I remember some of that influxed in the menu at Benny. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, and like to circle back, that's pretty much what I told Fleer and his team when I came here, you know, I look at the African diaspora as a whole, you know, because I have lived in Africa. I've lived in Italy. I've lived in Brazil. You know, I've spent some time in Haiti. Um, I look at it as a whole. So I see it from Africa and it's 54 countries and Latin America and the Caribbean and, you know, also grown up here in America, of course, as a black American. So, you know, there was there was always an inspiration inspiration behind each dish that was influenced by traditional dishes but it was my interpretation of those dishes but also before coming to Asheville just recognizing where I'm coming where I'm coming to this is essentially a rainforest and in rainforest you have some you can find and use some of the most you know great produce product um, that you can ever find um, and you know, and that's been the case. And so like when, even within every dish, like I always try to intertwine the great produce, livestock, um, artists and goods that, you know, anybody in Asheville was using into those same dishes that were influenced by the African diaspora. I, first of all, I find that fascinating, but also I'd like to kind of talk about where we are right now and Mike, your take on you know, using these regional ingredients for people, um, you know, we're in Asheville, North Carolina, it's all of our home, but how do you, how do you, you know, make that uh, transition of, of resourcing locally and um, the rainforest? I love, I love that term. Yeah. So farm to table, field to table, that is just like you were saying earlier with Mark Rosenstein, it's something that I think has been in Asheville for a long time now mm -hmm. and before my generation of cooking here it was it it was here it was it, you know when I, whenever I do an event in Asheville I'm going to try to source what I can from regional producers here whether it's farms with produce seasonal tomatoes heirloom tomatoes right now is an awesome time because everything's available everything's popping you're you still have tomatoes you're starting mm -hmm. to get into squash before you know it, we'll have pumpkin and gourd and and that sort of thing. And the early spring wild ramps. That's mm -hmm. a big thing on mm -hmm. menus around here. I had never cooked anywhere before where chefs were actively foraging themselves or had friends that would forage and you could just produce, you could pull so much really incredibly tasty food right out of the forest. Right. You know, there, there's a lot to be said for that range. Right? There's a lot to be said for that. Um, I mean, yeah, because the... Most people's concept of a rainforest is a subtropical climate, but I mean, rainforest naturally applies to, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to probably get too scientific for my own good, but it, you know, a place that where the, the rain or the precipitation is, you know, high throughout the year, which allows, you know, mushrooms to grow wild to, for ramps. It creates a perfect climate for all these ingredients. And it also extends the seasons better than it does in most other 
cities and states, you know. So like, you know, tomato season here goes maybe a month and a half longer than it does in Atlanta or where I'm definitely in Miami because Miami's just hot as hell. Right. Um, and we're in a valley and we're sort of in a canopy too, you know. We've got that with the forest and the the protection in that way. Yeah. And, 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 and honestly, the climate here kind of also reminds me a lot of back home in Miami. Just, you know, of course, a lot less greenery. But it, you know, it always... Just as here in Asheville, it rains almost every day. Maybe not in all of Asheville, but in some parts of it. Mm -hmm. And the humidity is the same. And, you know, it's the same thing in Miami. It's always humid and it's it's always raining. So let's talk about the event a little bit more tomorrow. Because um, Bon Appetit is filming it. And um, we, if you were a guest... By the time this is airing, there's no secrets anymore. Yeah. It will have been out there. So is there anything you can divulge ahead of time? Like if you were a guest attending or just any Blind Pig event, what is the uh, run a show of what people can expect th from the experience itself? Yeah, so tomorrow's event is going to be held at a local farm <clears throat> um, that is that's got a lot of history itself here uh, in Asheville and the Hickory Nut Gap area. Um, you know, there's a ton of history there in terms of it being a wagon road. And, you know, there would be people who would be trading from Asheville with the Cherokee down, all the way down to the low country. And this was sort of like that same route, that same road and stuff. And, um, when it comes to food, I mean, that's a lot of history there for, specifically for this region, you know? Um, but tomorrow's event is going to be a masquerade party. So we're going to have some fun with that. We've never really done that before, you know? Costume parties are fun. Uh, folks can, you know, dress up. We've I've had a ton of questions about, is this a black tie event? You know, not necessarily black tie, but the cool thing about tomorrow's menu, too, with the collab from the chefs is basically, you know, there's going to be a lot of – there's going to be six courses. There's going to be a lot of chefs that sort of bring their creative repertoire to the table, and they're cooking what they know and what they love or what they're perhaps doing right now with a specific – regional you know seasonal ingredient and uh, then there's also going to be an implementation to, in tomorrow's menu of cultural food you know like barbecue and um, collard greens and you know uh, chef shanika is making a mac and cheese from a recipe from pre-colonial time you know and um, it's just it's it's paying homage to the roots of that food and and that's super important for us obviously uh, especially right now when it comes, every food has a story and, you know, there's a, there's, especially if there's like a people, a culture of a people that, you know, uh, that, that where the food comes from, you know, it's really important to tell that story in a way. So there's going to be a lot of cultural food there tomorrow as well. I think it's a cool menu. It's going to have sort of a mix of barbecue and a mix of tapas and a mix of fine dining. And that amalgamation, I think is going to be pretty pretty magical and it always is you know it's when you got that many chefs working together and doing their best bringing their a game putting those flavors on the plate it's it's going to be it's going to be fun it always is fun well mike cleophus it was wonderful talking with you guys thanks for hanging out with me on my porch <laughs> we're kind of in a canopy out here too so it's been nice Thanks for listening to HRN on Tour. You can find all of our programming at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.